Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today with me is Arjuna Arda, and Arjuna, you have a new book out called Radical Brilliance, The Anatomy of How and Why People Have Original Ideas Which Change the World. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. I am excited to talk a little bit about what you've got going on in this new book. And the first thing I want to ask is there are a lot of books out there about creativity and brilliance and what specific take did you want to have with your particular book coming out now? This book really emerged rather like a jigsaw puzzle. My father used to do jigsaw puzzles almost professionally. He was so serious about it. And my father's way of doing jigsaw puzzles is he would throw all the pieces out of the box. And then he would hide the box. You know, he had to sort of let the picture emerge just from putting pieces together. And this book came very much like that. I had a car accident about two years ago. I didn't have any broken bones, but after the car accident, I was laid up. And during this time, the different pieces of this book emerged, like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle, which are really the components that together make up brilliance. Well, let's dig into it a little bit. I know you interviewed about 420 people or so to get some insights into what makes people tick and what makes them creative or innovative. Kind of unpack a little bit about what's in the book. Well, the book describes what we call the brilliant cycle, which really explains why do some people have extraordinarily innovative, creative, original ideas that really change the, the game for everybody like Albert Einstein or Steve Jobs or Emmeline Pankhurst? Why do some people think of things in extraordinarily new ways and really challenge our assumptions about how life should be, whereas many people don't? Mm-hmm. Majority of people live lives of imitation. So initially, it seemed like it must be one thing. You know, What is the magic secret ingredient which causes things to be this way? But actually, by exploring, I realize it's not actually one thing. It's the coming together, the confluence of several things, which appear to be contradictory to each other. So it's several things which seem to be conflicting values that contradict each other. And when these conflicting values coexist or come together, the natural result is brilliant. The brilliant cycle you talk about, are there particular skill sets or techniques that people use, or is it something that people just have as an innate gift? Definitely something that you can cultivate. It might be helpful to go through the cycle briefly so we understand what the components are. Perfect. So you can think of the cycle like a clock, you know, with 12 at the top, three on the right, six at the bottom, and nine on the left. So it's like a clock face. There are four quadrants to this. So 12 to 3, 3 to 6, 6 to 9, 9 to 12. The first quadrant begins in moments where you transcend your mind. And that can happen in lots of ways. But moments where you move beyond the usual field in which thoughts bubble and you 
step into a place of infinite consciousness. So that can happen through spiritual practice or meditation, but it can also happen through ecstatic sex. It can happen through extreme sports. It can happen in lots of ways. That we transcend the usual limits of the mind. Is that a way to just break the traditional patterns? Is that the state that you are looking to get into? You actually go deeper. You go underneath the traditional patterns into a dimension that is limitless and free. In that dropping deeper into this kind of spaciousness, there is a natural vibrating or bubbling that happens, right? There's a natural effervescing that happens, but we can easily block it through a particular disposition. If we have an attitude of holding on too much to emptiness, which would be a kind of spiritual belief system, we don't allow these little shoots of creativity to really grow. And if we're too much in a hurry, which would be more like a kind of manifesting, making things happen attitude, then we squash them. But if we stay in that middle ground where you allow these things to bubble, but you're not in a hurry, if you think of it like music, this is like the faint, faint melody of a violin playing, you know, across the field. It's like very, very faint and distant. But if you're patient, it slowly builds into intensity. And therefore, in this analogy, it would become like a symphony, it would become like a, like a full-on musical expression. So that brings us to three o'clock, which is in our cycle, that is the place of full creative flow. That's where things are completely flowing through you. It's like a, it's a huge gushing torrent of creativity flowing through you somewhat effortlessly. Now in terms of brain chemistry, that first cycle, that first phase of the cycle from 12 to three is a movement from serotonin to an increased release of dopamine. So dopamine is associated with novelty, with newness. It's the brain in a very fired up state that is highly creative. Yeah, so you, you basically have got the phase that turns on the spark, so to speak. Yeah, so three o'clock, you're in this full creative flow. One of the kind of creative events that can happen in full creative flow is what we can call an intention. An intention is actually a creative act that is now projected into the future. For example, is that where you would sit down to begin to write a blog post or a book or something along those lines? Or you take specific action yeah. on that idea? Right after three o'clock in our cycle is where you have the intention. So maybe you have the intention to write a blog post, you know, so you think, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna write a blog post and yeah. you can kind of see it happening in the future, but it might be bigger. It might be the intention to write a book or to complete a CD or to found a company. And the movement from three to six is the movement from that intention to its fulfillment. So six o'clock is where we actually get things done. But this is a very, very different kind of subjective experience and brain chemistry. Mm -hmm. Because as we move from three to six, it's the whole mechanics of accomplishing goals. So at three o'clock, you have a little tremor of intention, by six o'clock you've actually got a company or you've got a book or you've got something tangible. And that movement between three and six is the movement from intention to accomplishment. And that actually you know, involves different hormones. For a more masculine disposition, it involves testosterone to break through boundaries to achieve results. For a more feminine disposition, it's more 
estrogen and oxytocin, which is creating the feeling of team. We can do this together. We have trust in each other. But either way, as we get closer to six o'clock, you start to see the effects of the brain chemical, the neurotransmitter, which is called noradrenaline, similar to adrenaline, which is secreted by the adrenal gland in the body. It's what happens when you start to operate within limits, when you feel like, oh, I don't have enough time, mm-hmm. you know, I'm running out of money, you know, everything gets tense and tight. That's what happens when we come close to a deadline. When you have to finish something, it creates the subjective experience we call stress, which is also a dominance of the sympathetic nervous system and a suppression of the parasympathetic nervous system. So it means that needing to go to the bathroom, your eyes are itchy, you need to go to sleep. All of these signals from the body that you actually need rest or you need food get suppressed uh, in order to get something completed. So that's six o'clock. And right after six o'clock, when you've actually completed something, that is where we have parasympathetic flooding. So all those messages, which could be physical, like needing to pee or needing to sleep or needing to eat, but they could also be emotional, emotions that have been pressed down. All of that bubbles to the surface is parasympathetic flooding. And so that flip from sympathetic to parasympathetic actually begins the next phase from six to nine, which is where we start to have subjective experience of regret. And this is because of a phenomenon that happens around six o'clock in this cycle, which Gregory Bateson called double bind. He coined this in his book, Towards an Ecology of Mind in the 20th Century. So double bind really recognizes that when you are operating within constrained limits, you're almost inevitably going to make a mistake. If you choose A, you're not choosing B. And so... Because you have to make these choices, inevitably there's going to be regret. Regret, shame, failure, remorse. These are all inevitable experiences around six o'clock on the cycle. And that happens, but different intensities depending on the result of what was accomplished? Exactly. That's a really good point. The longer that you've had to repress parasympathetic signals, the more intense your experience will be right after six o'clock on the cycle. If you've been pushing through for weeks, you know, without getting proper rest, you're going to have a very unpleasant experience when the parasympathetic flooding kicks in. Some people will just push and push for months and eventually they have a breakdown. So a, A mental, physical, emotional breakdown is the result of massive parasympathetic flooding after you've been pushing yourself too hard. But it begins this next movement from six to nine, which is the movement from regret remorse, shame, failure, through learning, because now you have those feelings in your body, you feel bad and you have a motive to learn, because this unpleasant feeling in your body gives you a motivation to learn. So there's learning happens in the six to nine, and in that learning, it brings you through into humility. And humility, which happens at nine o'clock, that's the feeling, you know, there's a few things I know, there's a lot of things I don't know. There's gifts that I have to give, but I have all kinds of limitations. So when you're hovering at nine o'clock in this place of humility, there's the recognition that I have limits. I'm limited. I have boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, from a brain chemistry perspective, that is associated, those feelings of humility, of forgiving yourself for being limited. You know, there's a few things I know. There's a lot I don't know. I'm just a little person. That 
willingness to forgive yourself and to be limited is associated with the brain chemical GABA. GABA is the brain chemical that, that gives you permission to rest. And finally, the last phase from humility back to awakening from 9 to 12, that's where you start to have an intuition of something bigger than your small mind. That's where you have an intuition of either of your kind of deeper self, you know, you're like some people call it higher self. Mm -hmm. So it could also be an intuition of something like a divine intelligence, something bigger than your own mind. And then, because now you have this intuition of something beyond your mind, it creates a motivation to go deeper into that. And that movement then from 9 to 12 is a return back into awakening. That is a description of the brilliant cycle. Yeah. Do you find that innovators, the ones that are highly innovative, are they the ones that either control that particular cycle or go through that cycle more often? Or what are some of the differences? First of all, my observation has been that most people who are serially brilliant, they are brilliant over and over again with more and more ideas. They have all four of those quadrants active, which means that you could be passing through each of those phases every day mm. or every week or during the year where there are cycles within cycles. But Brian, you can also look at it the other way. You can flip this on its head and say this cycle actually becomes a way to map not brilliance. Okay? It becomes a way to map what gets in the way of brilliance. Right? Because once we understand the cycle, if someone is inherently brilliant but not fully expressing it, we can explain it through blockage somewhere in this cycle. Unpack that a little bit more. We've been able to recognize four different styles of blockage. Right? There are four different dispositions you can bring, and they all exist in all the parts of the cycle. One form of blockage is addiction. It means you get fixated on one part of the cycle and you just want to stay there all the time. Another way of blocking is judgment. It means you look at one part of the cycle and you dismiss it as just a waste of time and stupid and like, you know, yeah, not worth it. Another form of blockage is what we call aspiration resistance, where you set something up as incredibly desirable, but you also resist it. And I can give you examples of that you know, in all four quadrants. And the last form of blockage is called looping, where you go round and around and around in one part of the cycle. So you become like a specialist limited in one area. Hmm. So these four kinds of blockage, they all exist in all four quadrants. So if you take four kinds of blockage and four quadrants, you've got 16 unique ways of blocking brilliance. And actually, when I coach somebody who aspires to brilliance, we can actually clearly recognize where the cycle is blocked and we can apply practices to unblock the brilliance in that particular part of the cycle. So let's, let's get a little practical. What are some of those practices that you've seen that are more effective at either overcoming these blockages or being able to understand the cycle or, or just become more innovative in that process? We've been able to map hundreds and hundreds of practices to show where they have relevance in different parts of the cycle. For example, going to the gym is a practice. Mm -hmm. You know, making love is, can be a practice. Taking supplements could be a practice. Meditating can be a practice, but so is exercise a practice. 
almost anything you can think of can potentially be a practice when it's used in the right way. So things like sleep and putting together a good sleep plan and that, I understand in your book, you talk about how a lot of innovators get up really early in that. Can you talk a little bit more about how sleep plays a, a pattern in the, in the innovation process? And that has to do with our relationship to the circadian rhythms and circadian cycle. You know, we're homo sapiens, you and I. It's difficult to remember that we've only actually had electricity within houses for less than 100 years. But before that, there's 256,000 years of evidence of homo sapiens on this planet. So for everything but the last 100 years, we were obliged to live in natural rhythm. And what that means is, you really, you couldn't eat really after dark. Mm-hmm. And then it would get dark. And they, you know, what, what can you do when it's dark? You can burn a candle, <laughs> but if it's made of beeswax, it's expensive. So you'd go to sleep. Right. You'd go to sleep soon after dark, which means you naturally, because we only need about eight hours of sleep approximately, you naturally wake up before the dawn. And you're hungry. So as the sun comes up, you eat. Then you get hungry again when the sun is about the zenith at the top of its sky. So you eat again in the midday. So that's really how we've lived for most of our history is in rhythm. We're not nocturnal animals, mostly, by nature. We, we are a kind of mammal that is not, not nocturnal, that sleeps in the night. So that's been our natural rhythm. However, with the advent of electric light, particularly in big cities, it's become sort of fashionable to stay up really late and then either to not sleep enough and to have to wake up with an alarm clock and coffee or to sleep in. So when I coach people, one of the first things I ask them is about this rhythm. You know, what time they go to sleep, how long they sleep, what time they wake up. Do they wake up naturally with an alarm? And I found by helping people to adjust just by 10 minutes a day, if you can just make your bedtime earlier each day by 10 minutes, it means every week you can reduce your bedtime by an hour. So I've been able to support my coaching clients to be, I mean, the great majority of people I coach now, that once they discover how creative they are in the hour before the dawn, they get addicted to it. And then people just want to go to bed, you know, go to bed about nine o'clock. You have to adjust your social life a little bit, but you go to bed early, you wake up an hour before the dawn, you do some different practices, and that's when you actually end up having your best ideas. It's fascinating stuff. And I know the book is full of different examples of different ways you can tap into these things, whether it's working with friends or, you know, different ways to spur different parts of the cycle on that. So if somebody wants to find out more about your practice and, and your book and that, what's the best way to do that? Hop on to radicalbrilliance.com. It's got a little kind of mini course on video, which is free. Guide you into this in a bit more depth. And then if that tweaks your interest, you could maybe follow up and actually read the book. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being on Inside Outside Innovation and giving us some insights into things that we don't always talk about here on the show. We talk a lot about business concepts and that I think it's very important to talk about the individual and the creative mind that makes innovation happen. So thank you very much for being on the show. And uh, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. That sounds great. Thanks a lot. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.